What's going on, everybody? Doing okay today? I hope you're as excited as I am because I got, I got some faith in my heart today that God's going to speak to some people. Anybody raise a hand and say, I brought my faith with me today? Okay, listen, don't put your faith in me. Can we put our faith in God and his ability to meet us where we are this morning? Awesome. I promise I'm not trying to hype you up, but I'm excited for what God wants to do in our lives this morning. Before I get into the message, I just have to say, after Pastor Ann talked about Bridge Women night this last Friday night, man, we were so thrilled to hear the good reports. But guys, listen up, fellas. I am excited about Bridge Men Night this coming Friday night. We invite every man in the house, everybody that calls the bridge home, your friends, family members, neighbors, invite them, bring them along, go online, register them, buy them a ticket. Listen, today is the cutoff for the $10 price. After today, it's $15. Today, we give you that lower price because it helps us to plan for you in advance for how many meals we are going to need. And let me tell you, our friends at Guiltless Foods are providing dinner this Friday night. I know what's coming. It's going to be good. Man, we're stoked for the night. It's going to be an awesome time. Joel Holm is going to be here sharing with all of the guys. Joel always brings a fresh word in season. I talked to Joel on Friday, and he told me what he's going to talk about. And I'm like, yep, typical Joel gets way out of the box, and he's got something different in his mind and his heart. So we're excited about this night. Guys, get registered. It's going to be a good time. Register today. Get the lower price. And we will see you and your friends 630 on Friday night at Bridge Midnight. Where are all the guys in the house today? Nice. All right. For the rest of us, if you got your Bible this morning, meet me in Mark chapter 2. Mark's gospel, the second chapter. I'll give you the title of the message here in just a couple of minutes. I want to read through the passage first because I think it's going to be helpful, helpful before I give you the title. But before we jump into scripture, I want to say this. When you look throughout the stories of Jesus' ministry, one of the things that you see all the time is that Jesus hardly ever did something in a usual manner. Jesus did a whole lot of unusual things, and as a result, we saw him do supernatural, miraculous things in people's lives. He's still doing that today in people's lives. Can anybody say amen? amen. Now, here's the deal. God does not require us to have great faith in order to see him do great things. He simply requires us to have simple faith in order for us to see him do great things in our lives. But often our faith will determine what God does because God always responds to faith. Scripture is so clear, and we see a beautiful picture of this playing out in Mark chapter 2. Let me read to you before I give you the title this morning from Mark 2 starting in verse 1. It says, and again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. If you knew that Jesus was going to be in the house, would you show up? I know that I would. Look at verse 2. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them in the house, not even near the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. So when they had been broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive but God alone? Look at verse 8. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to the scribes, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all. And watch how this ends. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to bring you a message that's simply entitled, More Than I Hoped For, Less Than What I Needed. More Than I Hoped For, Less Than I Needed. When we have an encounter with God, it will usually kind of test our faith to see who it is that we believe Jesus to be. And if we will come to Jesus with simple faith, what we will discover is he will give us a whole lot more than what we hoped for. But if we come to Jesus with doubt, with unbelief, or even a religious spirit in our heart, it's very likely that we will walk away with a whole lot less than what we really needed to receive from him. And we see this picture playing out in Mark chapter 2 as this paralyzed man is brought to Jesus. You know, every time that Jesus performed a miracle or did something supernatural, it was unusual. There was nothing usual about the ministry of Jesus. But as we read through this passage in Mark 2, we see a couple of other unusual things playing out in the story. And I just want to point out very quickly to you a couple of unusual things that just stand out immediately to me here at the beginning of the story. And the first is this. It's the way that the paralytic comes to Jesus. We see that these four friends bring their paralyzed or disabled friend to Jesus, and because they can't get in, they take the roof off of the house and they lower him into the presence of Jesus. You know, there's an old saying that desperate times call for desperate measures, and I see this as a desperate situation where one man needs healing from God, so his friends see him in this desperate state and they choose to do something desperate themselves and do whatever they have to do to bring him to Jesus. Now, when you read throughout Scripture and you look at various commentaries and what Bible scholars have to say, there's a lot of people that think that perhaps this was Simon Peter's house. He lived in Capernaum. A lot of people believe that was the case. Scripture doesn't really clarify that or tell us if it was Peter's house or not. But one thing we know is that there was somebody who was willing to open their home and allow the ministry of Jesus or facilitate the ministry of Jesus to happen in their house, their crowded house, in the midst of a bunch of strangers and people that they did not know. And so it's a really interesting scene that we see here. See, Jesus was constantly being mobbed by crowds. Here he's teaching until the house fills up and no one else can enter until suddenly these four guys show up carrying their disabled friend, but they can't get in either. So what are they going to do? Now, if you go back historically and look at the way that homes were constructed there in Israel, Palestine, ancient Near East, most all of these homes were constructed in such a way that there was a staircase on the exterior of the house that led all the way up to the roof. On a nice day, people could take that staircase up and hang out on top of their home. But the most common reason it was there was because it allowed access to fix the roof when things went wrong. How many know they probably didn't have roofs like we do back in Jesus' day? Usually a roof was made up of long branches, which went across the width or the length of the house. And then they filled in the additional gaps with clay tiles or just dried mud and straw that was put into place. And the more they put, the more it gathered, the more it hardened, the more shelter that it created. 
So suddenly these four friends take their disabled friend and they climb up this staircase because this was their only option and they were not going to be denied. Now imagine with me for a moment that you were inside the house. Maybe you're lucky enough to have gotten inside the house as Jesus was preaching and teaching. You weren't stuck outside, but you're inside. Imagine suddenly some dirt and some dust and some clay and maybe a branch and some straw begins to fall to the floor as everybody's standing there. And you look up and here comes a little bit of light beaming through the roof and you're like, what in the world is going on? Until a little bit more is cleared away and a little bit more is cleared away and four heads hang over like this looking down and then here comes a bed and suddenly this bed is being lowered through the roof onto the floor. Now listen to me. Somebody was willing to facilitate a house full of strangers to see to it that the ministry of Jesus went forward. But can I just take this a step forward? Imagine if you were seeing all this. You'd be so amazed. But guess what else? Imagine that was your house. Because when I read this story, one of the first thoughts that went through my mind was, okay, if that's my house and suddenly the roof starts getting torn away, here comes the paralyzed man. And I immediately realized, okay, This man is in need of healing. Jesus, I hope you healed this guy. But listen, you better tell him that as soon as he gets healed, he's got to fix my roof. (laughs) Now, we don't see those details included in the story, but here's the point that I want to make today. I think most of us would say, I want God to use me. I want God to flow through me. I want God to do something great in and through my life. But what if we find ourselves in inconvenient and messy situations like this and God says, let me use your house. You're like, I don't know about that. What if it gets crowded? What if it's filled up with strangers? What if somebody tries to take the roof off? Are we willing to do the messy and the inconvenient in order to facilitate the ministry of Jesus in and through our lives? Can I just say something today? Today's our Connect Group Expo where you're gonna have an opportunity to meet all of our Connect Group leaders after service today. We got a bunch of people in our church who have said, you know what, I'm willing to sign up for that. I'm willing to sign up for a little bit of inconvenience. It might cost me something. Might mean the house gets a little bit messy once all these people get here. But I am so, let me just say as one of the pastors here, I am so incredibly grateful for you Connect Group leaders. Can we just put our hands together and give it up for our Connect Group leaders? who open their homes, who go above and beyond, who are willing to facilitate the ministry of Jesus in your homes. Thank you guys so very much. That's one of the first things that stands out to me. Sometimes it can get messy, a little inconvenient to facilitate the ministry of Jesus. But there's another thing that's peculiar to me here in what Jesus does, and that's the thing that gets Jesus' attention here in the story. Notice again, this man is paralyzed, he's disabled. It's kind of obvious externally what his major issue is as his friends bring him to Jesus. But the way that Jesus' attention is grabbed here is what's fascinating to me. It it says here that the collective faith of these friends is what moves the heart of Jesus. It wasn't just his condition, it was the collective faith of his friends. Look with me again at verses four and five, second half of verse four. It says, so when they had broken through the roof, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And notice verse five, what it says here at the beginning. And when Jesus saw their faith, stop there. When Jesus saw their faith, notice it wasn't just the faith of the paralytic man that got Jesus' attention. It was the collective faith of these friends that moved him to compassion. 
And this unusual detail in the story shows us that the heart of God is moved by the perseverance of faithful friends. And I want to say this this morning, if you're like me and you grew up in church, there's some verses of scripture that just kind of ring true and they kind of become token or cliche to us. But can I just reiterate this morning, my friends, there is power in agreement. There is power in having friends who are not just friends to your life, but they are friends in faith. They're friends to your destiny. Now listen to this, Matthew 18, 19 and 20. I'm gonna quote a passage of scripture that many of us will know very well, but think about how it applies in this story. It says in Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be, everybody say will be, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Can I tell you this morning that the healer is in the house this morning? That Jesus is in the house. Why? Because we have gathered in his name and we've come here in agreement. Or I hope that you agree and believe that Jesus can meet your needs today. The paralytic probably believed in his heart that Jesus could heal him, but he could not get to Jesus on his own. So what did he do? He found four faithful friends. Do you guys agree with me that Jesus can heal me? They most likely said, yeah, we believe it. And just like that, they had agreement. Then one friend looked at the others and said, well, if you guys are up for it, I think we can pick him up and I think that we can take him to Jesus. So they all agreed and they all took action to take their friend to Jesus. And notice what the scripture says. It doesn't say that Jesus saw their belief. It says that Jesus saw their faith. You see, faith is the substance of what we believe. Belief and faith are not the same thing. Belief is an ingredient of our faith. Belief becomes faith when I believe it here and I start to put hands and feet action into place and into motion. Belief needs to go from belief to faith. See, belief says, I know Jesus can do it, but faith says, I'm going to find four friends who will take me to see him today. There's a big difference between believing and having faith. I believe that someone today in the house, maybe a lot of somebody's, you need to hear this today. Perhaps the thing you need most that will get you from bewilderment to breakthrough is some friends who can take you to Jesus. Friends who don't just believe, but friends who will pick you up, who will dust you off, and who will get you moving forward so that you are no longer stuck in helplessness, but you are on your way to healing. You'll be amazed at what Jesus can do in your life when you find some faithful friends who will take you to Jesus and get his attention. Can I say it to you this way, church? Get you some faithful friends. Get you some faithful friends because this paralyzed man, this disabled man who was in this terrible condition might not have ever gotten to Jesus if he didn't have four faithful friends who were willing to take him there. Now, at this point in the story, they've gotten Jesus' attention, and you think that things are about to become a little bit more predictable. Jesus sees their faith, so surely now their friend is going to be healed, right? Now we can kind of predict how this is all going to play out. But now Jesus does some peculiar things, and the story takes another funny turn. And I just want to point to the story again and look at a couple of things that play out here. Look again at verse number 5. It says that when Jesus saw their faith, here's the second half of the verse, notice what he does. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Now hold on just a minute, Jesus. Don't you see what I see? This man came to you because he's paralyzed. 
He's unable to walk. He's unable to help himself. If it wasn't for his friends, he wouldn't have been able to get here. Surely, Jesus, you see his condition. So obviously, we would assume the thing Jesus would say to him is, my son, be healed. But he doesn't say first, be healed. He says first, your sins are forgiven. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus say your sins are forgiven? I think there's two important things that we need to pull from this because I think Jesus establishes a principle and then he goes one step further. First reason I think Jesus does this, number one, Jesus wants to deal with this man's eternal problem, not just his obvious and evident problem. See, a lot of us might have come to church today with some obvious, evident things that are lying on the surface. And can I tell you something this morning? God cares about the thing that is burdening you today. But the thing that he is concerned with more than anything else is not just your obvious evident problem. He's most concerned with our eternal problem, which is the sin that plagues us. The one thing he wants more than anything else is to be in relationship with you, not just give you a quick fix today. He wants to walk throughout the course of your life and into eternity. So Jesus first deals with the eternal problem before he gets to to the obvious and evident problem. Jesus is very very clearly concerned with this man's eternal need, not just his obvious and evident need. See, when Jesus saw their faith, to him it was an indication that they believed not just in what Jesus could do, but they believed in who Jesus was. There was a belief in their heart that said, this man must be the Savior, this man must be the Messiah. And forgiveness of sins is the next thing that takes place. Their faith indicated to Jesus that they didn't just believe in his ability, they believed in his identity. They believed him to be the Savior, so therefore they came to him. For many of us, when we come to Jesus, our first priority is for him to meet our obvious evident needs, the sicknesses that plague us, the hurts that haunt us, the shortages that stop us. And there is nothing wrong with bringing those desires to God, because can I tell you, God cares about those things. But if we will allow God to deal with the eternal problem or the internal problem first, that opens the door to everything else that God wants to bring into our life. And some of us need to know today that if you brought an issue with you today, God cares about that issue, but he cares about the condition of your heart first and foremost. And if you'll allow him to deal with that, you'll be amazed at what he can do with the other things that are going on in your life. So look at what Jesus does. He immediately first deals with the eternal problem, the internal problem, before he deals with the evident problem an obvious problem. But there's a second reason why Jesus does this. And this is where another group of people are introduced to the story. You see, Jesus knows that there are religious naysayers who are there who are casting a shadow of doubt over this divine appointment. And scripture says that as these four friends walk out with their disabled friend, they're standing there in hope and they're standing there in faith and they're standing there believing that Jesus can do a miracle. But in their presence, there's also some religious scribes as they're known. Sometimes you might, might be recorded as Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. There's a little bit of difference between these different characters and scriptures. But what we see here is that the scribes are present and they're casting doubt, they're casting question, they're casting unbelief upon this divine appointment. See, I've heard it said that anytime God brings an opportunity, the devil will build an obstacle. This man is here because he's hoping to get an opportunity to have Jesus to heal him, but there's an obstacle that lies in the atmosphere, and it's the doubt and unbelief of the religious scribes who were present that day. In Jesus' day, one of the biggest obstacles he faced was the religious spirit that tried to interfere with his ministry. 
And sadly, that same religious spirit often tries to stop the ministry of Jesus in people's lives today. And let me explain for a moment. I'm not going to go super deep into this, but this is where the scribes enter the story. And see, the scribes were the expert in Old Testament Jewish law. And the law for the scribes had become their God rather than the God who had given them the law. They had built the law up so big that it was as if it was bigger than God himself became an idol to them. And they held the law so high in their hearts that they couldn't see the Son of God standing right before their eyes. And simply put, a religious spirit says, until I can understand it in my head, I can't believe it in my heart. And usually that unbelief leads to conflict and religious debate. Now think about the picture here for just a moment because if you have Jesus standing there with the four friends and their buddy who's disabled and then the religious scribes standing there with their religiosity, there's a conflict that's taking place. And I know that that's a little bit hard for us to wrap our heads around and see the picture. So I thought perhaps I could get some friends to help me this morning. Where are my friends at this morning? Can you guys come out and give me some assistance? Here's our religious scribe over here. Give him a hand. Or if you'd like to boo him, you can also do that. <laughs> and then these, of course, are our faithful friends who are bringing their friend to Jesus. So they all come to Jesus, and when Jesus sees the man lying there in that condition, the first thing that he says to him isn't be healed. He said, no, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's in this moment that the scribes begin to doubt and judge in their minds about everything that's happening. Now, here's what's wild about this situation, is that Jesus is standing here, and please don't allow me to play the part of Jesus. I just want to explain. But Jesus is standing here in their midst, and he issues forgiveness to the man who's lying there paralyzed. And as he does this, they're amazed that Jesus would forgive sins, not just heal his body. But Jesus also, the scripture says, perceives in his mind like a word of knowledge. He's like reading the minds of the religious scribes of what they're thinking. And scripture says that Jesus perceives in their mind that they're saying, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins alone but God? And see, what these guys don't know, what the religious scribes don't know is that Jesus has set a trap before them. He's given them an opportunity really more than a trap. Because when they say to themselves, only God can forgive sin, it brings them to a crossroad in their own spiritual life where they have to determine, is this just another miracle working teacher or is this man the son of God? And all of us will have to answer that question at some point in our lives. And Jesus perceives in his mind the thoughts of the religious scribes. And right here in this moment, you would think that the next thing that's going to happen after Jesus has forgiven his sin is that he's going to go over here and he's going to begin to heal his body. But no, Jesus walks over and starts to talk to these guys. And what does Jesus say? He says, why is it that you perceive these things? Why is it that you say this is blasphemy? Why is it that you believe that, that I can't forgive sins here on earth? And then he asks an interesting question. Jesus looks at the religious people and he says, okay, let me give you something to think about. What is easier for me to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take up your bed and walk? He asks that question. And I think what we have to understand about the question that Jesus is asking is this. When Jesus looked at this man and said, son, your sins are forgiven, nobody could prove in the natural that God had forgiven him. 
We'll all have to wait one day to find out whether or not that was real. But notice what he's, what he's really implicating here. Jesus says, but if I say to this man, take up your bed and walk, and that dude don't get up and walk, everybody's going to know that I'm a phony. And Jesus gives them this, this idea and this question to ponder. But then he turns his attention from the religious scribes, and he looks at this man, and he says, but that you would know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. What's he saying? He's saying, if you can see my power on display and you can see that I have the ability to heal your body, that should open your heart and your eyes to the fact that I can also forgive your sins. And Jesus is making a point. Now, I want to stop right here for just a minute, and I want to focus on a couple of other things. One of the things that I love most about our connect groups and some of the very practical ministry that happens in our church is it always seems to be accompanied by simple faith. And I'm not saying that to say that makes our church any more special than any other church, but can I tell you, church family, God isn't looking necessarily for great faith from us. He's just looking for simple faith from us. And what often happens when we start to get around religious people is we start having these conversations that are in the abstract and they're hypothetical And they're not necessarily based in reality. Well, can God still do that? Is it really God's will? What happened to that guy to put him in that condition? Maybe it was his sin that put him there. Maybe that's the reason. And think about the religious conversations and debates in the hypothetical and in the abstract that we can get into all the time. And all the while, there's a real person with a real need laying right here. See, here's the deal. It's easy for us to sit over here and talk about theology and is it God's will and does God still do that and would he do that for me and does he really want to do it for everybody and is it because of my sin? What got me in this condition? How does God really see me? Am I a Pentecostal? Am I a cessationist? Am I a this? Am I a that? Can I tell you something? When you're the one who's laying in the mat, you don't need people that can win a Bible trivia contest. You need friends that can take you to Jesus. When you're the one who's lying helpless on the floor, you don't need to know the Greek word for stretcher. You need friends that will pick yours up and take you to Jesus. And I've been like so inspired this morning because I want to tell you, you need to get you some faithful friends that will take you to Jesus if you are finding yourself in a helpless situation today. Furthermore, if you have friends in your life that are in that helpless situation, you need to be that faithful friend that says, I'm not going to leave you laying there. I'll find three more and we'll pick you up and we'll take you there. But I believe Jesus can do it. And if you believe Jesus can do it, we can get his attention. And we can see him do some great things in our lives. Jesus cast down this religious argument. And he looks back over at this guy and he says, so take up your mat, take up your bed and walk. Jeff went to spin yesterday, so he's kind of sore. Can we thank our guys for coming out and helping us out this morning? I'm pretty fired up this morning. Hope you'll forgive me if you don't come from that kind of church background. I'm so inspired today. Because I was reminded in prepping this message this week that a lot of us, we think that we need to have all the theological answers in order to get God's attention. You need to have simple faith if you want to get God's attention. 
We find ourselves in these difficult situations. We're like, God, where are you at? I'm just over here isolated on my own. Where are the faithful friends that you need in your life? Who are they? Where are they? Call them up. Hit them up. Tell them, come get me. Let's go to Jesus. Let's take this problem. Let's take this situation to Jesus because he cares about every single detail of your life. First and foremost, he cares about the eternal state of your soul, so he offers forgiveness. But can I tell you, through that open door lies healing for your body, rest for your mind, peace for your life, and hope for all of eternity. He wants to give all of that to you in that package that he wants to give you first over there. It's all available. All it takes is simple faith. I want to close here in just a few minutes, but I thought of this story this week. I have a friend that's a pastor, and he grew up in a church kind of like ours, believing you know, that God heals, that God does the miraculous. Grew up in a church that believed in signs and wonders, and he told me, he said, you know, when I started to reach adulthood, he said, I got to a place in my life where I had seen God do miraculous things, but he said, you know, if I'm just being honest, and this is him talking, not me, he said, I saw some things in church that were a little bit weird. He said, and sometimes I couldn't tell the difference between the hope we have in God and the hype that people were creating in church. And that right there is why we want to be really, really careful that we don't ever become a church who's trying to deal hype. We want to be here to give people the hope of Jesus Christ. We're not going to get lost in emotionalism. But here's the bigger, broader point I want to tell you. That friend told me, he said, you know, I got so confused about some things that I had seen in church. He said that when I ran off to Bible college, he said, I chose to go a different path. He said, when I got there, I found that most, if not all, of my professors, my teachers, my fellow students, they really believed in a biblical message or their interpretation of Scripture that, well, all of that miraculous stuff, it stopped with the first century apostles, with the apostles of the Bible. And God doesn't really do all that anymore. The gifts of the Spirit, they ceased in that day. It's not really God's will that this would happen for everybody. He said, and I heard a lot of that teaching, and it kind of became something that was common to me. He said, and I started to get a little bit desensitized to the stuff that I grew up with. I I wasn't sensitive to the Holy Spirit and him doing miraculous things anymore. He said, I got out of Bible college. He said, and I was serving in a local church there there near my college. He said, and I became an elder in the church. He said, I'll never forget one day. He said, I was serving and there was a a woman that was a little on the older side. She was a little past middle age. So she was probably a few years older than you, Dad. That's good. this woman came in and she was a little on the older side and she walks in and she has this joy on her face and this joy in her eyes and she walks in and she wants to talk to a pastor he said and I was the first person to greet her at the door and she walked up and I said hi how's it going he said the smile on her face made me smile on my face and I looked at her and I said how you doing how can I help you today and she says well I'm however many years old a little on the older side she goes and just a few weeks ago I gave my life to Christ now listen that's incredibly rare at an old age Statistics tell us that most people, the vast majority of people who make decisions for Christ will do it before they're 21 years old. This woman walks in and she says, several weeks ago, I gave my life to Christ. She goes, but just a few days ago, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she says this with a smile on her face. She said, because... I have a friend that gave me a Bible and I started reading through the Bible and you know what I found? I found that Jesus approached all kinds of people who were sick and laid hands on them and they were healed. They recovered and suddenly they were healthy and whole again. 
She said, and then I found this other scripture that says, if you are sick, if there is any sick among you, that they would call the elders of the church together and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith would save the sick and the Lord would raise them up. She said, so I came here today to find some elders who would anoint me with oil and pray for me, believing that God is going to heal my body. And my friend said, okay, I'm going to go get a pastor and I'm going to get some other elders. And he went and got this pastor friend who came out and she told that pastor that story. And that pastor looked back at her and said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think you've got your theology a little wrong because we don't really believe, they don't really believe that God does that for everybody. We believe that most sign gifts and miracles really ceased, you know, gifts ceased with the first century apostles. So there's no way that we can guarantee you or promise that God's gonna do that for you today. We're not sure if it's really his will, but this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for God's will in your life. And that man told me that day, he said, that was the most deflating prayer I've ever heard in my whole life. He said, that woman walked out of that place. She came in with joy on her face as she told us about her cancer diagnosis. And scripture, the word of God had raised faith up, risen faith up in her heart to believe that God could heal her. And somebody talked her out of that miracle. He said, I walked away with tears in my eyes and I said, all she wanted was someone to pray a prayer of faith with her. He said, from that moment forward, it changed my entire perspective on scripture. He said, because that woman wasn't inspired because of something somebody told her. That woman was inspired by the very word of God, believing that she could be healed. Can I tell you something today? We don't need people who will talk us out of the things that God wants to do in our life. We need faithful friends who will help us get to Jesus and see him do that miracle in our life. Don't get lost in the abstract, hypothetical debates of if God, could God, would God, how did I get in this position? Get you some friends that will surround you, bring you to Jesus, and together see God do a miracle in your life. Kick doubt and unbelief out and let faith, hope rise in your life and see God do a miracle. I'm almost done, but these aren't points, just three things real fast. Number one, we all need faithful friends that will take us to Jesus. Number two, we are all called to be faithful friends that take our friends to Jesus. And number three, don't rely on religious expertise. Return to simple faith. Return to simple faith. Return to simple faith. Heard a great quote the other day that God is not requiring us to have great faith for great problems. He's requiring us to have simple faith in a great God. Wow. When the paralytic came to Jesus with simple faith, he left not only with healing in his body, but healing for his eternal soul. And if we will come to Jesus with simple faith, he gives us so much more than what we hoped for. But when we come to him with, with religiosity and unbelief, we will often leave with less than what we needed. Let faith arise in our life and let's surround ourselves with people who will take us to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I've allotted just a couple of extra minutes here, and I want to do a couple of things. First thing I want to do is this. I'm not at all going to try to be Jesus, but I want to apply the same principle. Maybe you're here today, and you walked in with an evident, obvious need in your life, and when you came in, that thing was weighing on your shoulders, and the biggest hope that you had was when I get there today, if God is real and if Jesus is there, that perhaps he would meet my need. I want to tell you today that God cares about your obvious evident need, but he wants to deal with your eternal need first. This is a room full of people 
None of us are perfect. We often have challenges, things that we have to deal with throughout the course of our life. But can I tell you something? This is a room full of people who have made their peace with Jesus, and we have put our hope in him. Scripture tells us that Jesus, the sinless son of God, went to the cross and died upon it to pay for our redemption so that we, just like the paralytic, could be forgiven. That if we would put our faith in him and the sacrifice he made for us, we could have salvation and know that we would spend eternity with God. The beauty of it all is that Jesus didn't just die. God raised him from the dead and he conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it. Can I tell you something today, my friends? God wants to settle the score of your eternal soul. But you gotta say yes. You gotta be in. I'm gonna pray a prayer here in just a moment and I wanna invite everybody to be a part of this prayer. Step one into stepping into everything that God has for your life. I wanna ask everybody, mean this with all of your heart if you wanna do this for the first time. If you need to recommit your life to Christ today, mean it with everything inside of you. Let's pray together right out loud, nice and strong this morning, all right? Jesus, I come to you and I believe that you are my savior. I believe your death has given me new life. I believe you were raised from the dead so that I could have your life. So today I choose that life. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And I want to be with you in eternity. So today I choose you. Be my Lord and my Savior. I'll follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now heads bowed, eyes closed for just another moment. I believe that God wants to meet some people where you're at today. You might have a physical need in your body. You might need physical healing in your body today. I believe with everything in my heart that God wants to meet some needs in this house today. If you're here in the house and when you walk through these doors, there were burdens you were carrying for impossibilities, whether it be sickness, whether it be lack, whether it be family issues, marital issues, relational issues, whatever it might be, would you just lift a hand and say, that's me. I got this thing that's just sitting on my shoulders. It's sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, super heavy. If we've allowed God to settle the score of our eternal soul, that opens the door for amazing things that he wants to do in our tangible life. So right now in faith, let's do this. Let's not just have belief. Let's have faith. Stand to your feet this morning. If you need God to do something in your life, you need him to touch your body, to heal your marriage, to work on your kids, to provide for you, whatever that might be, just stand to your feet right now. All right, and we're not gonna do this alone because if you're a Bible-believing Christian, we're gonna pray with our brothers and sisters this morning. If there's someone standing near you, would you reach over and just put a hand on their shoulder? Let's combine our faith. Let's be faithful friends this morning and bring people to Jesus today. Father, we believe that your word is true. We believe that your power is real. And God, we believe in Jesus' name that by your stripes we were healed, that you provided health and wholeness and healing for our physical bodies as part of our atonement at the cross. We receive it. We don't just believe you bought our forgiveness. We believe that you bought all of these other benefits for us. And today we choose to receive it. We choose to step out in faith and believe, God, that you are touching us in our physical bodies. God, I pray for marriages in this place. I pray for parents in this place and their relationships with their kids. I pray for people who are facing shortages today in Jesus' name, that you would provide, that you would deliver, that you would reunite in this place today in Jesus' name. And God, we believe that you can do it instantaneously, but our 
choice today is to step out in faith and to go forward, believing that with each and every step, we are one step closer to everything that you want to provide for us. So today, God, I pray that people would lift up their eyes, lift up their hope, and lift up their faith to receive everything that you have in store for their lives. Now, right now, all over this place, let's just lift our hands and thank God in advance for everything that he's doing. Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you see. We thank you that you heal. We thank you that you speak, God. We thank you that you are able to deliver. And God, whether we were praying on Friday night or we were praying on Saturday or today's the first time that we're praying for this on Sunday, we will go forward in faith, believing that with every step we will receive from you. God, I pray that this day you would do tangible things in people's lives. Do something just to nudge them very gently and show them that you are at work in their life. We believe it. We choose to receive it. We believe it, and we choose to receive it from you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise in the house this morning. All right, perhaps the greatest miracle of all is that we're a little ahead of schedule. (laughs) And Pastor Gary said amen. So listen, hang tight with me for just a moment because there's two important things we need to do. Stay standing. If you're standing, that's cool. Two important things. Please hang tight till the end of service. These are so important. Number one, if you made a decision for Christ, today is one of the best days of your life. To step into a relationship with Jesus, there is nothing better than to know God and to walk in his plans and purposes. We want to put a gift in your hands to help you start your journey of faith. Right after service, there's going to be prayer teams down here. Hey, walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. If you need prayer, that's why they are here. But if you made a decision, let them know. They'll give you that gift. It's a book called The Next Seven Days. We would love to give it to you to help you start your journey of faith. Not only that, if you need to go quickly at the end of service, between the glass doors, there's an info center right there. Just walk up to the info center. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ. We'll give you that book to help you start your journey of faith. Hey, one more time. Can we give it up for people that made decisions? Now, one other thing. For everybody that's hanging tight right now, I really appreciate it because there's a few people that think that their day is more important than yours. But here's the point. The point is this, we have Connect Group Expo that's happening here in just a few minutes. And I wanna give all of our Connect Group leaders an opportunity to head out right now and get there before you guys all get out there so that they can meet you and greet you at our expo today. Hey, Bridgemen, you guys can register at the Bridgemen table. Please come and do that. If you're a part of our seniors community, you can register for our next seniors luncheon today at the seniors table. We would love to connect with you. Go out, find you some faithful friends today in Jesus' name. Have an awesome Sunday. We love you.